Hi, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi. Welcome to episode 79 of the Deep South Dharma podcast, being released Sunday morning, September 13th, 2020. The title of this episode is Beyond the Reach of All This Pain. The talk was originally titled Befriending Uncertainty and was offered in Nashville in 2017. I had opportunity a couple of days ago to speak to a wonderful practitioner that I get to talk to just about once a month, once every three or four weeks. And she was speaking of this discovery that she does not really know what would make her happy. And that is a very fortunate discovery. And I wanted to talk more about that. And then I got to thinking that (laughs) I remembered that I had talked about that. And so I found this talk and listened to it. I noticed there are a couple of uh, names that I've mispronounced, but the rest of the talk still stands. So I'm going to share it with you here. If you have any comments, questions, topics you would like for us to utilize on this podcast, please send us a message or contact us through our website at deepsouthdharma.org, where you can also find links to the groups that we offer via Zoom at this time. And um, you can keep your eye out there for upcoming retreat information and that sort of thing. For now, beyond the reach of all this pain. What I wanted to talk about tonight is actually uh, a topic I've been doing some uh, work with at my um, day job um, with clients around this topic of um, befriending uncertainty, is what I'm calling it. And uh, this was in response to a lady um, asking me just, she wanted some focus on, on on addressing anxiety, but not just sort of coping with the symptoms of anxiety, but sort of really wanting to sort of get underneath that um, uh, topic. And so so this talk is partly about um, sort of what we've explored so far with that, and also um, what the Dharma um, has to offer around this. Uh, and, and for me, maybe the first aspect of dealing with um, with that that sort of sense of anxiety or whatever is to recognize the wisdom of it, to recognize the uh, or at least the the fact that there's some wisdom to it, that there is some wisdom to our anxiety. 
um, to our whole to this sort of uncertainty or this this unpleasant relationship with uncertainty when our um, sense of happiness rests in conditioned things, people, places, and things, as they say in recovery circles. So um, it, we just sort of start from that place of recognizing that if our sense of well-being is depending on things in the world, then we, we should be feeling anxious. <laughs> it's, sort of, it's sort of the point. Um, not should be, but just that it's that it is uh, actually wise to be because um, because there is nothing in this uh, in the world of things that we can directly apprehend through the senses um, that can give us the sort of security that we're looking for. And this sounds obvious when we say it, and yet every time, that we sort of have that internal reaching for something um, or that internal pushback against something, that is partly motivated by this idea that I would be happy if. I would be happy if this occurred um, or if I could have this or if I didn't have to deal with that. And um, so, so that, and the fact is, is that not only... Um, are things constantly changing, but <clears throat> but it's not only that things are constantly changing, it's that we often don't know really what what does lead to our happiness. Um, there's, in fact, I'm going to, I took a quick snapshot of this uh, bit of literature today f- from... Um, from one of the suttas, and he says, enraptured with with lust or desire, craving, enraged with anger, blinded by delusion, overwhelmed with mind ensnared, people aim at their own ruin or at the ruin of others, at the ruin of both, and they experience mental pain and grief. But if lust, anger, and delusion are given up, one aims neither at one's own ruin nor at the ruin of others nor at the ruin of both and they experience no mental pain and grief. Thus is Nibbana visible in this life, immediate, inviting, attractive, and comprehensible to the wise. And so, um, and so this, in this, this sutta is pointing to this understanding that, um, that often we don't know. We have these ideas about what would make us happy. But... But actually, we just ain't, we have a tendency to aim at our own ruin, and um, or at the ruin of others, and um, or both, in in sort of seeking to make things work out the way we think we want them to be. Um, now, uh, there is an old Zen saying that says, "Death is certain, and the time of death is uncertain." And um, I think this constant uncertainty is sort of what makes us afraid of everything. There is, um, if we really, I can remember during one time period years ago, I was, um, I sort of was um, um, home raising children full time, doing some stuff on the side, but mostly, you know, by choice, knowing that a lot of the time I was going to be pretty broke for (laughs) 
period of time. And I can remember having to remind myself at times that, um, that you know, the worst that can happen if we have to wait till, you know, uh, my husband at the time, if we have to wait till this next payday for this, that, or the other, uh, I can remember that feeling, just having to remind myself, you know, the worst that would happen is there something might come up that I want to do that I won't get to do. Like, I'm not, we're not going to go without. It wasn't that dire. But the, sometimes I would have sort of a habitual sense of anxiety um, about, about money or about that subject. And really, it was simply about I might not get to do something I feel like doing. But it wasn't, you know, food, shelter, clothing, or medicine that was at stake. Um, and so there is this sort of, uh, this little part of us that, that, that behaves as if, this, this part of the mind that but behaves as if it will be annihilated, it will die, if, uh, if we somehow don't get to do something we want to do. And, uh, or that we don't get to have something or somebody we want or in our lives. Or, and so... Um, and, and so that leads, leaves us in a situation of um, being afraid of everything or being afraid about everything. And even when we do have what we want, that feeling of insecurity because how long will this be here? Nibbana that was referred to in, this, um, in that section that I read um, is not sort of... Um, Sometimes people will, people in our culture, just not knowing it any better, will sort of make this parallel with the idea of nibbana as sort of like a heaven, sort of like the the, the dharmic corollary of heaven. And that's not nibbana is not a place, as was indicated in that particular quote and many many others. Nibbana is a state of mind and heart that is free from being ensnared. Um, that is at ease with whatever's going on. And Nibbana is, um, Ajahn Chah used to, um, this Thai forest master, used to um, describe Nibbana as, or define Nibbana as realizing the reality of non-grasping. And so, you know, we, a lot of times our identity is really attached to these things we grasp to, and the more that we sort of subtract these false senses of self, what we're left with eventually um, is actually reality. Um, and is this reality of non-grasping. There is um, a very um, interesting and helpful book on this subject called The Island. It's by Ajahn it's Panaro and uh, Ajahn Amaro. And you can even Google it up, The Island Ajahn, Ajahn Arma. Amaro, A-M-A-R-O, and it, it'll come up, and you can get. It's a free PDF. It was it's from one of those monastery series that gives their books away for free all the time, and um, the the book is called The Island. And awareness is uh, just sort of simple awareness is the island that you cannot go beyond. Um, meaning. Um, you know, in this sort of search to be able to go beyond our the things we grasp at, to go beyond um, to go beyond greed, hatred, and delusion, greed, hatred, confusion, um, to be able to. And it doesn't mean to get rid of those things. By the way, um, Ajahn Sumedho describes it really nicely. He says, as one begins to realize and to recognize non-grasping as the way, 
the, uh, then emotionally one can feel quite frightened by it. It can seem like a kind of annihilation is taking place. All that I think I am in the world, all that I regard as stable and real, starts falling apart and it can be frightening. But if we have the faith to continue bearing with these emotional reactions and allow things that arise to cease, to appear and disappear according to their nature, then we find our stability not in achievement or in attaining, but in being, being awake, being aware. And he is not only talking about allowing things around us in nature or in our lives to arise and cease, he's also talking about our own emotional states. So even our own experience of um, grasping, it's not that we are not being a good practitioner if something arises and we find ourselves having this preference and we really want it to go a certain way. That doesn't mean we're doing something wrong. It's just if it's helpful, we will suffer over that less if we can rest in the awareness that sees that going on instead of resting in that, instead of resting in this determination to get my way as the thing that's going to help me, is to even just sort of back up and almost as if we could put a little TV screen around it and watch a movie of ourselves wanting something. It's just helpful to get just give ourselves that little bit of space. Um, and we start to get some stability, and we can see ourselves uh, wanting things that, um, um, wanting things to be a certain way. And even when they do line up with what we wish, to enjoy things being a certain way for as long as they're here. Um, we can see that happen, and we can see our sorrow when things don't go that way. And we can respond kindly to our own sorrow and take good care of ourselves in times of sorrow when things aren't going the way that we wish they would. All the while, really allowing ourselves to rest in this awareness that, you know, it's okay if it doesn't go my way. And it's okay to grieve about it. And it's okay to want what I want. Um, I just don't have to suffer over it. I used to have a neighbor that... Um, <laughs> that it was the it was the smartest thing I ever picked up from a neighbor. I think that she used to say this thing to her kids um, when she would be instructing them to do something, and they they would say, "I don't want to," and she'd say, "Oh, honey, it's okay. You don't have to want to," you know. And they would kind of always like there was always a double take uh, with that because they could really feel her empathy, like it's really okay not to want to, but we're just going to do this now, <laughs> you know? And there was just a real matter-of-fact way about it. And, um, and, and um, I, that's been really helpful for me in working with myself as much as with the kids that I'm now done raising. But um, that sense of um, there are certain things I might do to take care of myself or might not do to take care of myself. And how I feel about it is I'm, I'm perfectly allowed to feel about it however I feel about it. And, um, and those feelings about it tend to settle if I'm not fighting them uh, or fighting myself about them or judging myself about them. And so um, in befriending uncertainty, the, the reason that is our talk title is because what our tendency is to do is to grasp at certainty. And it is the grasping at certainty or at anything that looks like it might provide certainty that destabilizes us immediately. The act of grasping immediately destabilizes. And so, um, and so to have sort of this attitude of um, 
of exploring uncertainty. What does it feel like when things are uncertain, not only in the situation, but in me? Um, that is a really helpful way to work. And yet, um, the um, uh, in, in um, teaching us about these things, the Buddha actually had a lot of empathy uh, for the emotional states. And one of the last things I want to read is... Um, something from the Sutta Napada that is uh, a story about uh, Kappa's question. So this, he says, Next was the Brahmin student, uh, Kappa, probably, K-A-P-P-A. Sir, he said, there are people stuck midstream in the terror and the fear of the rush of river of being, and death and decay overwhelm them. For their sake, sir, tell me where to find an island. Tell me where there is solid ground beyond the reach of all this pain. And so when he's, I'm going to pause there for a second just to mention this, this sense of midstream. You know, as we, as we practice meditation over a long period of time, we do start to really get a sense, even just in our usual walking about lives, for how fast things are changing all the time. And, you know, every time somebody... Uh, in my little day-to-day work family, every time they get moved to another place or uh, somebody leaves and gets a different job, I'm just so reminded of how things just don't stay stable. And um, and that is, and it can be overwhelming um, if we're trying to find some rest in any of those situations. So the reply, Kappa said the enlightened Buddha, for the sake of those people stuck in the middle of the river, <laughs> sort of like, tell me for a friend. You know, I have this, you know, so it's like, okay, Kappa, you know, not, not that you would be bothered by this, but for those people you're concerned about, I'll tell you. Um, for those people stuck in the middle of the river of being overwhelmed by death and decay, I will tell you where to find solid ground. There is an island which you cannot go beyond. It is a place of nothingness, right? Not nothingness in the West. We think of nothingness as sort of like this dark, empty void. Nothingness is what is meant here. A place of non-possession and of non-attachment. It is the total end of death and decay, and this is why I call it Nibbana, the extinguished, the cool. There are people who, in mindfulness, have realized this and are completely cooled here and now. They do not become slaves working for Mara, for death. They cannot fall into Mara's power. This idea of uh, Nibbana as the extinguished or the cool, it's helpful to know that, um, that the, the ways that people, what people believed about fire at that time was that, um, was that what happened when a fire went out is that somehow the w- things were cooled enough so that the fire was released, right? It was as if the belief was sort of like that, that the fire was trapped by um, the, the activ- something in the wood or, so- or whatever, sort of hanging on to it. And so this idea of, th- so this idea of a cooling, um, cooling the fires of clinging, and the idea of Nibbana being not sort of what's left there, but actually the fire set free um, from, from the clinging and from the heat. With, um, it's helpful when, um, 
when, when resting in awareness, to know that we're not trying to turn awareness into something solid either. It's just the closest we can come. It's the, in our conditioned state, that just simple awareness, that part of us that can be upset, and then that part of us that can go, wow, I'm, I'm really kind of upset about this, and it seems a little over the top. You know, those moments where we have some awareness that, um, where we're not completely caught up in the emotion of it, but we're also able to reflect. Um, or, in, or there can be other times where our reaction seems like an underreaction, and we're aware of that too, like, mm, that doesn't seem completely authentic, it doesn't seem completely um, connected or open or real. So we, it, is, it is not that that awareness is a thing or is ultimately who we are. It's just the closest that we can come um, in this sort of conditioned state of experiencing our lives through these six senses of ours. And awareness is the closest we can come to, to having that experience of something that is um, not tossed around by preferences, that doesn't um, judge us, that simple awareness doesn't judge us. Um, it may notice, wow, I'm you know, feeling kind of judgmental right now or, or whatever, but that part of us doesn't even judge us for that. So it's probably the, it's the closest that we can come when we start out. Um, the the goal of nibbana sometimes is is uh, treated as if it were not realistic, uh, but it but the Buddhist experience and the experience of many people since you know, his time um, would indicate that it is realistic, and we all have moments of it. We all have have sometimes just a little flash or a little while of feeling just like I'm just okay with the way things are really truly okay with the way things are now the way that we know that we haven't reached uh, haven't reached nirvana as a steady uh, state that those fires of greed hatred and delusion haven't been completely quelled is that we can take those moments that we really feel okay with how things are even if it's not totally going our, our way and something or somebody can find something to push a button as long as we've got buttons that can be pushed uh, by life um, then we know we're not there. We're not there yet. But it's not. It's not an unrealistic thing to work toward. And in the working toward that, there is um, a great deal of freedom from unnecessary suffering. And there is um, working toward that is a much more is a path toward much more certainty in terms of uh, not that things will be the same or. Uh, stabilize or, or whatever, but that we, our, our innermost sense of our experience can stabilize and can rest on, there comes this place where um, we know that situations will continue to be uncertain, but what starts to happen is we get, grow this sense of, of, oh, whatever it is, I'll be able to deal with it. Um, and that's where our certainty comes from. That's where a more pleasant sense of certainty comes from, is that, you know, we can do this. Whatever this is, whatever difficult thing we're trying to do right now, it can be done. And we can, you know, we may need help, we may need practice, we may need to reach out for tools that we don't currently have or for knowledge we don't currently have, um, but it can be done.
So um, with that, I want to um, pause and um, allow people to share anything that comes up for you around that. And thank you for being here. Let's just give ourselves a minute to let that settle. grateful for my connection to you, a person who would listen to a podcast about the Dharma. If you know others who might value this podcast, please do share it with them. And if you would like to be involved in the financial support of this podcast, you can do that for just 99 cents a month at anchor.fm slash deepsouthdharma. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.